Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this Sunday morning, for good songs. Father, we thank you especially for the, the beauty of that flute being played. We thank you, Father, that you've taught us that, that worship doesn't exactly have an outward look to it. Sometimes worship is standing or hands raised, and sometimes worship is sitting. Sometimes, God, it's a guitar or drums, and sometimes it's a a flute. But always, Father, it is from the heart. It's a heart that is resting and trusting in you being a good, loving Father and a Savior of sinners. It's a, it's a heart that is understanding and valuing and treasuring up your worth. And Father, we pray now that that's what would happen here. That all of the hearts that are in this room would worship you. And that according to your word, God, you would drive us to that even more. We ask you to do it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, please turn the Bible back to Mark chapter 10. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible, page 930. We're back to Mark chapter 10, and we should be moving right along, but we're not going to today. Uh, Last week, I preached this serious passage at the beginning of chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, on Jesus' teaching on divorce, divorce and remarriage, and I knew that there was going to be a lot there, and This week, following up from last Sunday, I've had so many of you all call me or text me or email me with even more questions. I love it when y'all remind me how much I left out of a sermon. And that's what happened this week, and perhaps the subject is so big and uh, and involved, we might say, that there are a a lot of questions that come about. I want to remind you all, okay, that our church is committed when we are preaching the word of God, that we're not so much wanting to say what I want to say, and we're not so much wanting to say what I think y'all need to hear. We're wanting to explain the word of God, all right? That's what we're doing, and we're walking through the, the books of the Bible, and we're in Mark, Mark 10, and, and some of y'all asked me about things that just clearly weren't in here, and I said, well, we'll, we'll get to that, and I'll get to that, but I want to remind you it wasn't, it wasn't right here in the passage, And so what we're wanting to do is explain the word. We don't want the word to be a launch pad for me to talk about what I want to talk about. We want to explain the word. We don't want to read the word and then preach something. We want to preach the word. The word is what has power. And I think y'all get that. Y'all don't really need a lecture today on on preaching, I don't think. But I think think that our church gets that, right? There's no power in the messenger. There's power in the message, in, in God's word. And so whether God uses me or not is not dependent upon how good I am or how well I do. That's not it at all. It's through God's Holy Spirit using the word. And we understand that. And so really, I just want to be faithful to this. And so if it's not in there, then we may not get to it. And if it's in there, hopefully we're getting to it. And I think, I think that y'all get that, right? And I hope that's one of the reasons why you... You so value this church and, and the word of God being preached through this church. 
Well, with that said, we did bring up divorce and marriage and remarriage last week because that's what Jesus is talking about. And many questions came up. And I was encouraged by that. I was very, very happy to hear of a handful of people that weren't here last Sunday that went and listened online and they had questions or comments or thoughts. Some of y'all that were here that reached out to me had questions or comments or thoughts. And so there was so much of that that I thought, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to that same passage and we're going to do a part two. So today is a divorce and remarriage sermon part two. I'm just going to try to build upon what I said last week and, and really try to get to some of the things that you all asked about. Life raises lots of situations that are not as easy as we would like them to be, right? Life is hard. And by that, what I mean is sometimes it's easier said than done, right? When it comes to marriage, it's a lot easier said than done. We just read in Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives the way Christ loved the church, right? Well, that's a great passage to read, and that's a hard passage to live out. Okay? Well, we have to understand as Christians the importance of the Word of God to inform us about life. This is what I see as perhaps my, my biggest goal and responsibility as a pastor, is for God to lead me and use me to get all of you thinking what does the word of God say about me and this situation and my life and what I should be doing? What does God want me to do? What does God tell me? How does God instruct me? And I want us to understand the absolute importance of the word of God to inform us about life. We don't understand God through life. We understand life through God. I've said that before from the pulpit, but I, I want to come back to that, and I want you to follow that. We don't understand God through life. We understand life through God. God knows. God's been there. God's older than us, more experienced than us, wiser than us, smarter than us, infinitely more understanding than us. He, he, he's got this. God is never caught off guard. He's not overwhelmed. We don't stress him out. He's not doing this number going, man, they've really got me in a puzzling situation. He's not. He's not like that. He's got us right where he wants us, okay? He can handle every single situation. And so we need to look to him to understand our lives. And I want you to get that. So that includes our relationships that includes our marriages, and that includes our struggles. And as you've heard me say before, you can't start trying to get to that mindset when you're at the very brink of divorce. It's often too late. You can't decide in the midst of a divorce, am I going to try to trust God now or not? This is why being here on a Sunday morning when everything's all good and you diving into the Word matters. This is why you get a foundation in your life for who you are and what you're going to stand upon, right? You don't build a foundation when the storm's coming. You build the foundation when there is no storm. And then the storm comes, and what keeps you through the storm? The foundation that you built a long time ago, right? 
You don't save money when all the bills are coming in. You save money because you know that one day the bills are coming in. All right? And so we are as people with life with the Word of God. Now, some of y'all may be in the very thick of it right now, and I'm imploring you to look to the Word. But all of us, and especially our young people and our people who are newly married or about to get married or hope one day to get married, we need to understand that God instructs us and informs us about life. We understand life through God, and that includes our relationships, our marriages. That includes our struggles. I want to point you back. And just You don't have to turn there, but just listen with me. To Matthew chapter 7 and Jesus' final words in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Every, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man, okay, who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The emphasis in that passage is on the words of God being the foundation. Psalm 119, 105 says it like this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119.11 says it like this. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Think about these passages. The 119.105, the 119.11 from the Psalms, the Jesus' final words in the Sermon on the Mount that I just read to you in Matthew 7. Think about those passages now, not just in light of storms and, and paths, not just in light of life, but think about these passages in the, in the perspective of your marriage. In my marriage, God, I have hidden your word in my heart that I would not sin against you. The heart of the believer can admit this marriage is going to be the death of me which we've said before, God, I pray that your word hidden in my heart would guard me from sinning against you. God, I look to you as your word to be the lamp unto my feet and the light unto my path as I try to go another day, and I don't think I can, God. When the storm is there, it is the word of God that is our foundation. This is the way God wants us to think. And so here we are as a church, doing just that, walking through the Gospel of Mark. We get to chapter 10, and Jesus, met by the Pharisees, is now talking about marriage and divorce. Let's read the passage. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 1. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And then the house of the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And so, so here's what we've got. Verse 2, a legitimate question is asked about divorce, which we've got questions. Everybody in our family and in our town has questions about divorce. Legitimate questions come up about divorce. Now, here we know that they're not coming from a legit reason, right? It says that they're just trying to test him. But the question taken at face value is legit. Hey, are, are you allowed to divorce? That's a legit question, right? So we, we see that. Verse 3, Jesus answers back to their question, well, what does the Bible say? He says, what, what did Moses command you? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. The Ten Commandments are in there and, and all of God's other commands. Jesus' answer is very simple. Okay, well, what does God say? And I talked about this last week, right? Jesus' answer to a qu- heavy question about life is, what does God say? What does the Word say? This has to be your practice too. What does, the, what does God say about alcohol? What does God say about a foul speech? What does God say about you being lazy? What does God say about prayer? What does God say about neighbors? What does God say about immigration? What does God say about this, about work ethic, about our money, about giving, about this or that? or What, what does God say when questions arise what does God say this is one of the things that I absolutely love about being a a parent because kids ask so many questions they're constantly asking questions and how beautiful it is to say "Well, well let me show you how beautiful it is to say let me show you and Jesus here is asked about divorce and his answer wasn't well well I'll just tell you what I think Now, that would have worked because he's God, but he didn't. He said, what did God say? And I'm telling you, folks, we would do so much better as friends, as brothers and sisters in our families, as mothers and fathers, as grandchildren or grandparents. We would do so much better as employees. We would do so much better as coaches. If we had conditioned ourselves, what does God say? What does God say for me to be or do in this situation? This is how Jesus functioned. So verse 2, legit question, what's the Bible, or is, a divorce, is it okay to get a divorce? Verse 3, Jesus says, well, what's the Bible say? Verse 4, they answer right back. Well, the Bible does say you can get a divorce. And they're talking about Deuteronomy 24, which I showed you last week, where it says that somebody can't get a divorce in this or that situation. It says that Moses allowed them to write a certificate of divorce, and so they, they were ready. Hey, what does the Bible say about a divorce? Can we get a divorce? Jesus says, well, what does the Bible say? Oh, oh, it does. It says you can't get one. Deuteronomy 24. They were ready. They thought they had him. Verse 5, Jesus answers back, right. You can get a divorce because of your sinful hearts. Because of your hardened hearts and the sin that has come into the situation, God has, in some cases, provided a way out. From there, verses 6 through 9, Jesus then goes into a big theological explanation of marriage. Jesus says, God made people. It's been that way from the beginning. God made people male and female. It's always been that way. 
God made people, God made them male and female. God brings them together when a male and female get married and they unite together and the two become one flesh. God created marriage, God defines marriage, and then he says, therefore, since I made y'all, since I made it, since I define it, therefore, what God has brought together, nobody can separate. So if there is a separating, it is because of sin. I said last week, divorce is always the result of sin. If you weren't here last week, I said divorce is always the result of sin. Now listen to me. Divorce is not always sin. Divorce is not always sin, but divorce is always a result of sin because when you get married, you are committing together to love one another forever. And so somebody along the way has quit doing that in order for there to need to be a divorce. So divorce is always a result of sin. Somebody somewhere, somehow is sinning, making you all get split up. But divorce is not always sinful. Perhaps we could say that usually it is or some of the time it is, but it's not always sinful. So when is it not? There are two reasons, and this is all just reviewing from last week. There are two reasons why the Bible allows you to get a divorce. Two reasons. The first is sexual immorality. Somebody in the marriage has been unfaithful. Somebody has cheated. The man has been with somebody else. The woman has been with somebody else. That is grounds for a divorce. Okay? We're reading from Mark chapter 10. It says this in Matthew chapter 5. It says this in Matthew chapter 19. Divorce is permitted when there is some unfaithfulness. Now, just for clarity, the one who can divorce is the one who was faithful, not the one that was unfaithful. I can't cheat on Val, find me somebody else that I think's better, and then say, I'm going to divorce her. That's just me piling up the sins. If I'm the one that was unfaithful, I can't get the divorce. God allows for the one who did not cheat, the one who stayed faithful to the marriage, that person can divorce so that they're now out of the one that was unfaithful. Okay? We don't fix a sin by doing more sin, and I think that you know that. So the first is sexual immorality. But then in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul brings up another one that Jesus doesn't mention, but the Word of God is the Word of God, and Paul brings up abandonment. And I said this last week. So the first is sexual morality and faithfulness. The second is abandonment. If a spouse leaves, then there is a divorce to be had. The Bible also says that if a spouse would leave, that spouse must be an unbeliever, which will rock our American culture, won't it? The New Testament says any spouse that would leave another spouse must not be a believer if they would leave their spouse after covenanting together. And so it says the one that leaving must be an unbeliever, and if they leave, it tells the other person to hope for reconciliation, but if reconciliation is not going to happen, again, this is in 1 Corinthians 7, if reconciliation is not going to happen, it says why should that person stay enslaved that person is free to divorce. Again, the faithful one could get the divorce, not the unfaithful one. 
I cannot leave Val, move off to California, say we're gone, she's long gone in the past, I'm going to get a divorce and, and start a new life. That would be sin and more sin. Leaving would be sin, getting the divorce would be sin. These things are sin against God. So the divorce is God providing a way out or a, or, a, or a helpful thing for the faithful person to do so that they are not stuck in this horrible situation. Now, the Bible does tell us that in all cases, reconciliation would probably be best. A holding out, a waiting, a praying, or something like that. But it's not always possible. And so divorce is an option for the faithful person when somebody has been unfaithful with sexual morality or with abandonment. Now, remember, divorce is not always sinful, so there is God allowing that. But divorce is always the result of sin. There are many situations, and I can think of some. We had a situation here in the church a long time ago where the man said he no longer, this was a long time ago, the man said he no longer loved his wife and made that known publicly. And she said, well, she was upset and she was broken and she was crying or whatever. She said, well, I made my commitment to him. I'm going to hold out. And there were many people saying, you, you ought to divorce him. I don't know if that was good advice or not, but I know that people were saying that to her. And she held out. They moved away. They no longer live anywhere near Kentucky. But some four years later, God brought him back and he repented. And they're still married. And that was a long time ago, and they're now happily married. It was a situation where possibly she could have gone to get a divorce. We'd have to get deeper into was there abandonment or was there sexual morality. But it was a situation where she, staying faithful to what she wanted to do, could have pursued a divorce, but she chose not to. And for those four years, it was miserable for her. There was no man loving her. There was a, a husband who was a bum and a jerk, and he's a good friend of mine. He was wrong, but for four years, she stuck with it. And now they are happily married, and their children have no idea about any of it. It's a beautiful story. When we start talking about marriage and divorce and remarriage, we have to start thinking about the things that are key to life and to godliness and therefore marriage. And so that's where we come to forgiveness and love. Y'all, I said we were supposed to understand life through God. And sometimes life will make us so busy or so distracted that we'll forget it. But I want to remind you all that, that even us being alive today and and being healthy today is based off of God's love for us. I want to remind you of that. God loves us in such a way that his grace is flowing through us right now. We are to take nothing for granted. Every good and perfect gift has come from him. He loves us. And he doesn't love us because we're so lovable. He loves us because that's what he's like. There are many, many times where you and I are, are, are ready to not love somebody for whatever reason, and maybe rightly so, they don't deserve it. 
But with God, it's not like that. God continues to love us and model forgiveness to us, so much so that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, and then he describes us as us being the the wife and him being the groom, and so we have this beautiful picture in the gospel, in the love of Jesus, as one who continues to love his bride and love his bride and love his bride, despite all of our sins. We just sang a beautiful song, and I don't know if I've ever heard that song, uh, and, I, and I don't know if we've ever sang it before. Have mercy on me, O God. And it asks, if God was to count sins, who could stand? I don't know if you know this or not, but it's a direct quote from Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. This is what the psalmist said. If God was to look at my life and judge me based off my sins, I won't make it. I will fail God's test of being lovable. But God loves me still. And he loves me through Christ. And every time I'm unfaithful, he loves me more. He doesn't give up. And his love is strong enough to keep me. His love is strong enough to keep me from running away. That's how much Jesus loves us. And he gave his life for us. And as we just read in Ephesians chapter 5, that's the type of understanding and commitment and devotion that you and I bring to marriage. It may be hard, it may be ugly, it may be up and down, but I'm not giving up. I'm fighting for this. I'm not giving in. Because my life is built on God's love for me and the forgiveness of sins in me. God will never leave us or forsake us. God will never give up on us. Now sometimes, as you know, in a marriage, there is some sin that's not going to be overcome. And in those situations, God has allowed for divorce. But I want us to think about that in light of forgiveness. Tim Keller, along with his wife, a great pastor in New York, has written this great book on marriage. It's called The Meaning of Marriage. I would recommend it. Tim Keller, The Meaning of Marriage. It's a great book. But he's got this excellent quote where he says, A good marriage, a strong marriage, is made up of two good forgivers. People who know how to forgive each other a lot make a strong marriage. People who hold grudges, can't forgive, have expectations so high that they're supposed to be perfect, they have bad marriages. Those are unhappy wives and unhappy husbands that they're always disappointed in their wife. They're always disappointed in their husband. You can't ever do anything right. You can't ever say anything right. That type of expectation in marriage is not very real. And God's not bringing that to us either. The Bible says if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then the Bible says in Ephesians 5 that through our faithful loving of our wives, that we are to be washing them in the water of the word. That our love, that our consistent, that our faithfulness, that our graciousness, that our forgiveness is to create a a cleansing in the relationship. Love and forgiveness are to be a part of it. One of the questions that I got asked about marriage and remarriage and divorce is, well, what about 
widows and what about death? That's a whole, a whole other category. Let me tell you. The Bible says that once a death happens, that ends the marriage and they are totally free. That's a different category. I think you knew that before, but I had several of you all ask, okay? Once a death happens, whether there was divorce or not a divorce, whether there was a marriage or a broken up marriage, once a death happens, that frees you up, okay? Now, here's the biggie that I said last week that I want to remind you all of, Okay? If you look here at Mark chapter 10, verses 10 and 11 and 12, the issue here is not so much divorce, but it is remarriage. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. The Bible says many times, folks, that divorce is sin, but it also says that remarriage is sin. There are some people that believe that remarriage in any way could be sinful. But I think we're definitely sure that if the divorce was not a legitimate divorce, then there is not the freedom to remarry. It caused that sin. Now, again, the person that was faithful that got the divorce, that person, many believe, is the only one free to remarry. The person that should not have caused the divorce or sought after the divorce is not free to remarry. And so often we know people who express that they're unhappy, so they just run to a divorce. They run against all godly counsel and hurry up and get a divorce, and then they want to hurry up and get remarried thinking, I'm going to start afresh. Well, the Bible, if the divorce was not legit, Jesus says that that remarriage is also sinful. They should not be married. Now, what do we do if we have sinned? What do we do if we have divorce? What do we do if we have gotten married again? As y'all know, life is heavy. And our situations in life are a lot easier said than done. And this is where I want y'all to hear me on this. The Bible always offers hope and grace to people who have sinned. Sinned in whatever way. People that have sinned sexually, they can be forgiven. People that have sinned with divorce, they can be forgiven. People that have sinned with remarriage, they can be forgiven. But here's how. Forgiveness always comes through a broken and repentant We just sang that in the song, Have Mercy on Me. So whether you are sinning sexually right now, or whether you are divorced, or whether you are remarried, or any of the above, you can seek the Lord and be forgiven. You can seek the Lord and be forgiven. One of the questions that I was asked many times this week is, okay, well, if I'm in this situation, what should I do? If I'm in this situation, what should I do? If you're divorced and God's working in your heart on it, you should seek reconciliation, possibly. I know it sounds outrageous in our world today, but you should seek reconciliation. If you've not married somebody else yet, you should turn your heart to the Lord and seek to uphold your vows. May be possible, it may not be, but it may be. If it's not possible, then you need to seek the Lord 
bowing your heart down, asking him to have mercy on you and forgive you. If you're married, you should admit your sins, humble yourself, and seek the Lord in your current marriage. We never respond by another breaking up. We never respond by another divorce. If you're married, you should stay in it and be faithful to it. Now, I want to remind you all of the big truths of the Bible of how does somebody come to God? What does it look like to repent? And here, here are some simple steps. One, stop sinning. If it is sin and God calls it sin, stop sinning. Regardless of how much you may say and regardless of how much you may try to convince somebody that you're still focused on the Lord, if you're not going to stop sinning, you're not that focused on the Lord. And your heart is not broken before him and turning to him if you will not stop sinning. Stop sinning. If you're in a situation where you should not be sleeping together, you should stop sleeping together. If you're in a situation where you're seeing each other change clothes and be naked and all that, you should stop doing that. You should stop sinning together. You should start saying, how do we honor God in this situation? How do we honor God? For many people, they should go ahead and get married. There's a lot of people who are got everything going together except marriage. They've got kids, and they've got a house, and they've got all their stuff, and they're in love and all of that, and they're being faithful to each other. The only thing missing is marriage. They should get married. They should stop sinning and start saying, how do we honor God in this situation? In short, obey God and do what's right. Remember, the Word of God is what drives us. We are looking to the Word of God, we are learning what God says, and then we're wanting to do it. Stop sinning, honor God, obey God, do what's right. Seek the Lord's will. It is absolutely possible in any situation that we find ourselves for us to say, okay, God, I realize I've done some things that are not the right, right way. What would you have me to do here? If you need help with that, that's what I'm here for. Call me, email me, let's talk, let's get together. Let's start asking, what does it look like to begin honoring the Lord with our lives here in this situation? And in any situation across the board, all over the place, and all the different scenarios that there are, we can say, I want to set my eyes toward Jesus. I want to live for God's glory, and I want to begin honoring him. Now, one of the questions that always comes up is, what about abuse, right? You've all thought of that, and everybody always asks about that. What about abuse? What about a lady who is being physically, physically abused by her husband? The Bible doesn't say that they can, that they can get divorced, but we do have some common sense here. Anybody that's being abused ought to flee, all right? Anybody that's being abused ought to flee. They need to get out of that situation. It doesn't mean they should run straight to divorce, but they need to get to safety. They need to call the police. They need to let it be known. They need to get out of that situation. And then, once they get into safety, then we can begin navigating through what should they do. Oftentimes, a communication back to the spouse that, hey, I love you, I want to stay married to you, I will keep my vows, but abuse is illegal, this isn't right, we can't do this. And so at that point, if that person's not willing to come back on the grounds of no abuse, then that person, I believe, is abandoning. 
You've separated yourself for safety, not to hurt your marriage. You've separated yourself from safety. And on that person not being willing to come back without abuse, you having to keep your distance for safety, then you have something like abandonment. That person shouldn't run to divorce, but that's the direction this looks like it's going because of the abuse. The Bible raises all sorts of issues. Our lives raise even more issues. There are all types of questions. But I want to remind you of this this good thought. There's a passage in the Bible where the disciples come to Jesus and they say, how many times should we forgive somebody? Seven times? And Jesus says, seven times? Yeah, if if somebody wrongs me seven times, should I forgive them again? Y'all know the old phrase, you know, uh, wrong me once, shame on you, wrong me twice, shame on me. They say, should we do it seven times, Jesus? If they come back saying, hey, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? Should we do it seven times? And y'all know what Jesus' answer is? Seven. More like 70 times seven. That's 490 times. In other words, if somebody comes back seeking forgiveness, you say, I forgive you. Do you realize that if God's got a checklist in heaven about our sins against him, it's more than seven. It's more than 490. Do you realize he's ran out of notebook paper on our sins against him? And do you know why we're still here this morning? Because we know that with the Lord there is forgiveness. If you're here today and you're feeling like you've sinned against God, listen, he will forgive you if you run to Jesus. He will forgive you of your sins. He will wash you clean. He will give you a pure, clean conscience. He will remove your guilt because of Christ. God loves you. And as we understand that, he tells us to go and bring that good gospel truth of love and forgiveness into how we understand marriage. The faithfulness of God to us is to be the strength and energy and understanding that we bring to marriage. Does life create in marriage situations that are horribly difficult and miserable? Yes. But God gives grace and God gives strength and we are to go at our marriages the way God goes at us. And we are to begin living our lives according to his word. Church, let's be a people who are informed by God on marriage. Let's be a people who say, I want God's love for me to be what I'm bringing into my marriage. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, God has forgiven us. God removes our sin. And in our marriages, we must be able to forgive people. So moving forward, let's have a good, healthy understanding of marriage.
Let's be a church that wants to model to the world Christian marriage. And I hope you're seeing that's not because we're so good at marriage. It's because our commitment, our love, and our forgiveness is so real. And to the people around us whose marriages are hard and struggling, let's be gracious and helpful to them. And to the people in our church whose marriages are hard and struggling, let's be gracious to them, all the while pointing them to the Word of God, which guides our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your Word can be trusted. We thank you, God, that we're learning that sometimes we've lived our lives in ways that we shouldn't. But to that we can turn to you. Father, we ask today that you would forgive us of our sins. Father, we ask now that as we sing this last song, you would work in our hearts. Father, for all of us who are married, forgive us of our sins. God, help us to turn to you for grace and forgiveness. And may our relationships be built on forgiveness. Father, teach us from your word that we would treasure it up in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.